Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to everyone listening, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Well-Read Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bierke, aka The Real Bookish Writer. I am a reader, writer, bookseller, book festival goer, and I am and always have been obsessed with genre fiction. While you're here, there will be two segments, a short one where I review the books I've read for the past week, and then a longer one which will consist of a one-on-one author interview. So without further ado, let's jump right in. This was an interesting reading week for me because while I read several books, I only finished and enjoyed one, which are not the ones I talk about in the interview, FYI. I chatted with my guest a couple of weeks ago and have already reviewed the books I mentioned at the beginning of the interview. And for those of you that have been here for a while, you know that I don't review books I didn't enjoy because just because it wasn't for me doesn't mean it's not good or that you won't enjoy it. The one I did finish this week was the romance Planes, Trains, and All the Fields by Livy Hart. As the black sheep of the family, choreographer Cassidy Bliss vowed she'd do anything to get home in time to help with her sister's wedding and avoid family disappointment. Again, she just never expected anything would involve sharing the last rental car with the jerk who cut her off in line at the airport this morning. But horrible times apparently call for here-goes-nothing measures. Driving across the country with Luke, life can be solved with a spreadsheet, Carlisle, must be a penance for some crime she committed, because the second he opens his mouth, it's all she can do not to maim him with her carry-on but somewhere between his surprisingly thoughtful snack-sharing and his uncanny ability to see straight to the core of her, her feelings go unchecked. Suddenly, their crackling chemistry is just one more thing they have to navigate, and it couldn't come at a worse time. But after a lifetime of letting the expectations and needs of others drive her life, Cassidy must decide if she's ready to take the wheel once and for all. This contemporary rom-com was simply put, just a lot of fun. Even though their romance developed over just a couple of days, the progression of their relationship felt real, and I could see the attraction and affection grow naturally. They both deal with some very real and heavy personal issues, a lot of it having to do with their respective families, and I liked how the main characters complemented each other and how they ended up being there for one another. Like I mentioned, I only had one book review this week, so now that that's done, let's jump in to the interview portion of this episode. Our guest today is a best-selling author of several young adult and adult novels, and her latest adult sapphic romance, That Summer Feeling, is out now. While she lives in Los Angeles, she hails from Oak Forest, Illinois, and when she's not writing, she can be found coaching gymnastics or headlining concerts in her living room. In the fall of next year, she will also be making her adult cozy fantasy romance debut with This Will Be Fun under the pen name E.B. Asher, co-written with best-selling romance authors Emily Wibberly and Austin Sigmund Broca. And after releasing three adult romances in a row, in 2025 she will be returning to the young adult world with everything she does is magic. Please welcome Bridget Morrissey. Well, welcome, 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 Bridget. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited to chat with you today. I'm excited to chat with you too. How have you been? I have been rocking and rolling, you know, time seems like it is flying by, but I've been hanging in there. How about you? It's been an interesting week. It's been a very interesting week. I've read some good books though, including, um, oh God, what did I just get done reading? I read Bride not too long ago by Ellie Hazelwood. Oh, I, uh, I really was amazing. Was it, it amazing? Was, it, it was, it was really good. I don't know why I was surprised that it was going to be good. You know, it's, Ali Hazelwood, whatever she writes, because I enjoy her writing. So I don't know why her switching to a different genre I thought would be, you know, a little cheeky, not cheeky, but you know what I mean. But yeah. it was, it was really good. Um, and I really want to start uh, the breakup tour 
by Emily Wibberley in Austin. Book of, book of the year, book of 2024. <laughs> it's it's very, it's gaining a lot of traction and it makes me really excited to see. But I also finished That Summer Feeling by a specific author that we know. <laughs> and wow, it was I've wonderful. Heard her. I've heard I of know, that right? <laughs> I think her name's Bridget Morrissey. <laughs> She's really good. She writes really good books. Oh. So now That Summer Feeling has been, that's your most recent release, correct? Yes. And that was released in May. So how's that process been now that that's been out for a couple months? It's been really great. I've had so much fun connecting with readers over this one. I get a lot of really amazing messages all the time, which I love. Um, I love people coming in my inbox and just telling me their lives. Uh, so it's been awesome. I have had so much fun releasing this book. I'm really proud of it. And I've really been touched by the reception to it. The book takes place predominantly at an adult summer camp, which is freaking amazing. I think there needs to be more of those. How did you come up with this idea? I have been very intrigued by the idea of adult summer camps for a while because I did not go to summer camp as a kid, much like the main character in that summer feeling. So I have heard about that and I knew that that was a thing. And when I came up with the idea to like marry it to a book concept, I I honestly don't know. It feels like one of those things that just was like it just occurred um, and it sort of unfolded from there and it provided the perfect backdrop for me to be able to explore all the things that I am interested in as an adult, which is a lot of like inner child reconnection and like doing youthful things, but you're an adult um, and that's what summer camp is. And if you're an adult at summer camp, that's especially what it is. And the book has a lot of themes, you know, of self-discovery, of love, like you said, reconnecting with our youth. Do you think that's something that more people need to get in touch with? Or do you think that that's something that, you know, because like you said, as you become an adult, you kind of lose the sense of things, you know, from when you were a kid, why was it important to you to have that in the story? Yeah, I definitely think that more adults need to do that. <laughs> um, I think I wanted to have it in the story because I just look at my life. I am 33. I turned 34 in February of 2024. And I don't feel like my life looks anything like I thought a 30 somethings life would be like at all. And I just think that I wanted to speak to that experience, first of all. And also in my day job, I'm a gymnastics coach. I work with kids all the time. And so much of my day is doing like really silly, absurd things, like making up songs with kids and stuff. And it's so fulfilling to me and so enjoyable that I wanted to also kind of like capture that kind of energy of like being able to go back to that feeling. How did you get into gymnastics? The 1996 Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was obsessed with the Magnificent Seven. That's the gold medal winning team from the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. And when that was on, I was just like running up and down our hallway, like trying to do the flips, like the girls I was seeing on TV. And so my Mom enrolled me in a park district gymnastics class, and I was actually more advanced than they could like accommodate there. So I ended up switching to a what is called like a real gymnastics club. And I became a competitive gymnast from there. And I did that for many years. And then when I was done with college and I was looking for a job, 
that I would enjoy. Cause that is something that I definitely see. Cause like I had worked with my mom in the office. She was a front desk receptionist at an ophthalmologist's office. And in high school, that was my summer job. And it was so boring. <laughs> like I was just filing things and I just couldn't sit like that. And so when I needed to find a job, I was like, I want to be moving. I want to be doing, I love gymnastics. And so I became a coach and now here I am almost 15 years later, still doing it. That's good though, that you still like it. Obviously it's a passion for you. What's something from gymnastics that has taught you? What's something that it's taught you that translate into, translates into your writing? So much, but specifically the patience and the diligence that it requires because so much of gymnastics is repetition. And that is also writing, like sitting down to write. And so much of gymnastics is like, building upon things to get to where you want to go. Like if you want to learn a backflip and you've never done one, you can't learn the backflip on day one. I mean, some people are really like adept in that way and can, but that wouldn't be me. (laughs) 99% of people, but you can learn it. You just have to be willing to show up every day and like do the work and do the progressions. And that's very much how writing works too. Like I want to write a book. Okay. Well, it won't be done in one day. You have to sit down every day. You have to be willing to have days where you're bad at it and days where you think that it's not going to come together and you have to decide like you can't give up in that moment. So gymnastics teaches so much of that. And I think I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience and having that in my life so constantly. And then watching other people go through it as a coach, watching children learn that lesson and learn not to give up on themselves, like really helps me. What does your writing process look like? Because like you said, it's not you sit down, you write for a straight week, and then your manuscript's done. There's a lot of give and take when it comes to it. There's, it takes time, it takes effort. Like you said, you have to put in the, you have to put in the effort, you have to show up and you have to constantly do it. What does your writing process look like? You know, how do you form and shape your characters and how much, I'm, I'm always interested to know how much of the story in advance do you plan before you actually sit down to write? So the entire story for me, at least at this point in my writing career is planned because things when they're under contract, you turn in a synopsis and I just don't know how to write a synopsis that isn't detailed. So mine end up being like very much hitting every major beat. There may be minor things that I don't plot out in advance, but in terms of like the actual writing of it, it's different every day. And the character work, I spend a lot of my time, like my driving time to work is like my brainstorm time. And I I will like leave myself voice memos a lot where I will come up with ideas or I'll talk about the themes. That's when I think a lot about what I want the story to, like the overarching thing of the story to be about and maybe not so much the specifics. And I'll leave myself a voice memo like I want Garland to rediscover her inner child and something like that. Uh, but the day-to-day is just, I'll go to a coffee shop, sit down, and I have Scrivener, which is amazing, and you can put in your word count goal for the month or whatever your deadline is, and then it'll like reverse engineer how much you need to write based on how many days you tell the program you write. So I'm pretty faithful to that. I'm like, all right, Scrivener says I need to write 1,500 words, like crack my knuckles and get it done. Now, are you a write every day kind of person? Do you write Monday through Friday and take the weekends off, vice versa? Do you have a set thing or does it depend on the project you're working on? I don't have a set thing. I'm very big on like if I'm having 
uh, if I need a break, I take a break, even if I'm an, on deadline, because I just know I won't get anything meaningful done. But I don't have any sort of guidelines of like no writing on the weekends. I love weekends because that's when I don't do my gymnastics job. So I try to get more writing done on the weekends. But there's no set schedule for me. Just the fact that like I'll have a deadline looming in the distance that I'm you know marching toward and so as that gets closer I might have to tighten up a little bit but for the most part I just kind of go with the flow of how I feel how did you become a writer what made you want to switch because like you said you've been in gymnastics for a long time what made you sit down one day and decide you know what screw it I'm going to do this this is something I want to do so I was actually an actor before I was a writer. Um, I live in Los Angeles and I'd moved to Los Angeles to be an actor. I went to school for acting and gymnastics was just like the job I did, you know, to pay the bills as every creative must have. And as I had been in Los Angeles for a while, I realized that what I liked about acting was not being the performer. It was the story. And I realized that like, I would prefer to be telling the story And it didn't matter the medium. I didn't need to be the face of it. I could be the pen behind it. And that was even more fulfilling because so much of acting is just taking other people's stories and bringing them to life. And I I don't know, I just hadn't put that together. And I'd always been writing. I've always been a writer. I just wasn't prioritizing it. It was something that I was just like, oh yeah, I wrote this play or like, oh, I wrote a script for us to all act out. And I would just do that. And it would be like, that's not a thing that everybody just goes and does, but I didn't process it as a piece of something that I wanted to be doing. And when I finally made the switch of prioritizing writing and giving up acting altogether, it was like, I emailed my acting agent and was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to step away from acting. I want to prioritize writing on like a Wednesday And then I think it was on a Friday or something, I sold my first um, manuscript. It was like truly one of those things where it was like, wow, you know, you had to let go of one thing to receive the other. But like, there was that free fall feeling of like, have I made a mistake? And then the instant sort of, you're good, like keep on this path. So that was something that I always think about. And I think about it with gymnastics too, because there are times where I'm like, I'm ready to step away. And it's very daunting to me to think of not coaching anymore. But I feel like I hope at least I would have a similar experience there where I would be like instantly validated for that choice. That's very exciting. It sounds like it was meant to be. And like you said, you had to let go of that in order for this other thing to come into your life. Right. What was the process signing for your debut? Because you wrote your manuscript, it sounds like, then you submitted it, you got an agent. How was that whole debut process? Because obviously that's got to be very different than where you are now, where you get a contract, you're on contract to write a book. You got to be really detailed, like you said, about the synopsis. How was how has it been different? And how was that first initial debut process? I mean, it feels like it was so forever ago. I signed with my agent in 2015. So that was eight years ago now. And it was the second book I'd written. So I had written and queried a book prior to the one that I got an agent with and eventually had published. And I learned so much from that. And that was in like 2013, 2012, 2014. So like over the course of two years, I was doing that with that first book. And 
just trial and error, you know, and just getting on Google. And this is before manuscript wish list and all those things had sort of streamlined your ability to find this information. So it was just like throwing darts at a board, trying to find agents that represented at the time I was writing young adult only. And um, yeah, I found my agent and then we put with the second book. So I eventually shelved to the first book. I was like, okay, I think I had queried like a hundred agents a lot. Like just like truly I felt like, okay, nobody's taken this book. I wrote another book, went out again, found my agent. And when that eventually sold, I had already done so many rounds. I had done an edit for her. I, did I do? No, I didn't. I thought maybe I did a revise and resubmit for my editor, but I did not, which is when the editor is like, I like this, but can you do a revision before they take it to acquisitions? But I didn't do that for my um, debut. But it was totally different because, yeah, the book was already done. So it's like fun because you're like, I don't have to sit down and write it. I just get to like get right to the part where we talk about it and I edit it. And now that I'm at the phase where it's like we talk about the idea and then I go write it it's just a totally different thing. It's hard to even remember what it was like before, but I know that I was, I enjoyed it. I enjoy every step of it, honestly. In your typical timeline, like once you get a contract, you submit, you guys decide on this idea. How long do you usually have to actually sit down and write your first draft? Well, I can tell you that I am under contract right now for a book that hasn't been announced yet, but I, it is due in December. December, and I have been working on it since and August. So what is that? Four it's months. Five, yeah, four or five months. Um, and then I have another book that's coming after that that is also hasn't been announced that uh, will be due in April. So I will have from December to April to work on that. So I guess that is... Uh, that's a time frame that works for me. Um, but everybody's so different. There's really no guideline or like standardized. I can get it done in that time. But if you can't, editors are very gracious and the team publishing teams will always let you have more time if you need it. But that is currently what I'm operating under. Now, do you usually work better as you approach the deadline or are you pretty faithful to, okay, I have to, like you said, I go to the coffee shop, I sit down, I have to do this many a day, da, 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 da. And do you constantly write throughout that period or do you tend to kind of write most of your stuff as you approach those deadlines? I definitely love a deadline and the pressure of the deadline. I do work the entire time, but like when it's crunch time, when I was doing 1500 words a day, suddenly I'm doing 5,000 words a day. Like I definitely write more when I get closer because I, I like pressure. I definitely respond well to pressure. And I think that that is a gymnastics thing too, of like, I need to know that the like lights are on and it's go time. And also I think that is just how I worked in life. I did so many extracurriculars in school too. And it was like, when you came home, I would do extracurriculars till 9 p.m. And then I had like three hours worth of homework and your like eyes are like, you know, glazing over, but you're like, I have to get this done tonight. That feeling, I think just sort of lives within me still where I'm like, I just know when it's that time that I can do it. 
So I make my, I don't know, I make it harder on myself sometimes. And I'm like, so I will, I'll have to do a lot at the end, but it doesn't mean that I don't do the work, but it helps to have the pressure for sure. What is the hardest part in your opinion of writing and publishing a book? Is it the writing part? Is it the after the publicity part, the promoting? What is like if you had to pick one thing where you're like, this is just my nightmare. I it's just it's so difficult for me. What would what would it be for you? That's a great question. I think that there's difficult parts to every step. What is the hardest or the biggest learning curve I have had is understanding that the only part that I am truly in control of uh, are the words inside the book. And you don't control really when it comes out. You don't control how it's received, certainly at all. You don't control how it's marketed, how it's... And when I was younger and when I was newer, you just, it feels so precious. You're like, no, we can't change the title. The title is everything. You're like, no, this color doesn't make sense on the cover because of whatever, these reasons. And it's very precious. And as time has gone on, just to protect my own peace, I have learned how to be like, okay, let's come up with a new title. Okay, you know, like, oh, we're moving seasons. Okay, we're going to release it here. And so that I think is the part that is the hardest to learn, but is everything has its difficulties. Drafting can be very long and feels like you're never going to get it done. Editing can be overwhelming. Like I'm never going to make this better. So yeah, there's highs and lows to it all, but I would say the overall, the hardest part is just releasing your control of every part of it. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people think that the author, like traditional publishing wise, that the author has a lot of control over things that they really, they really don't. Yeah. Like you said, the cover, the release date, all of that stuff, a lot of that is done by other people. Um, you started writing or you've published both young adult and adult romance, correct? Yes. How did you decide to make the switch? How come you've written both? Do you, which one do you prefer better? So my young adults are contemporaries about grief. So they're very sad. And I actually really love to write sad things. Um, I love to be melancholic and like express it through writing. But I did find after I had written my second young adult contemporary, which is called When the Light Went Out, um, that it it was becoming a bit too much. I was really kind of putting myself in a dark place that I was struggling to move past. And so I wanted to keep writing. And I then thought, what if I do adult romance? What if I do something that prioritizes joy? What if I do something that focuses on love and you know still has drama still has all of the things I enjoy but it's just repurposed and so that was how love scenes which is my first adult romance came to be I drafted the whole thing just as like an exercise in getting my mindset in a better place and I loved it and I love romance as a reader so it felt like an organic step for me too um to be able to step into that space and it ended up being such a blessing and I've had the best time but I will say like I I am coming back to young adult one of the books that I have is is young adult so I'm really excited because 
as we've mentioned now, I do work with kids. I love kids. I love teens. And I like being able to speak to that experience. So I wouldn't say I like one more than the other, but I am really excited to be able to be doing both at once because I haven't had that experience yet. Your first two adult romances focused on heterosexual couples and that summer feeling is a sapphic romance. Why did you make that switch? Why did you decide, okay, I want to do this now? Yeah. So I am a queer person myself and in writing my romances, I wouldn't say I went into them specifically intending for it to be like a man and woman pairing. It was just the stories that were compelling me at the time. But I have tried in the past, even prior to that, to to work on sapphic projects that just didn't work out for one way, one reason or another. And so when it came time to pitch my third adult book, I was like, I have to, like, I just can't do another man and woman pairing. Um, and so I had a talk with my team. I was like, listen, I just want to let you know that the next book that's going to land in the inbox is going to be queer. And just so we're all clear (laughs) and they were very understanding and supportive of me doing that. And for me, like in a thousand miles in love scenes, which are my first two romances, there are queer main characters in both of them. They're just in a pairing that's man and woman. So in uh, you know that summer feeling it just felt like a natural progression like I've been priming the audience for this transition if you've read them you know and and my young adults are very queer as well so yeah it was a next natural step for me and it's really just the best place for me to be and I've had the most wonderful time interacting with the queer community over this book so I feel so happy about that. I'm I'm also a bookseller and I get a lot of people that come in and they ask for queer romance. And so anytime I can read a queer romance and it just seems honest and loving and fulfilling, you know what I mean? As a story and these characters, they're just handled so well and with so much grace and they get their happy endings. It's so wonderful to be able to recommend books like this to especially kids who are growing up and they're just realizing you know, their sexuality and coming to terms with it. And, you know, or they just came out to someone and it wasn't received well and they want to lose themselves in these books. And so as a bookseller personally, it makes me very excited to be able to recommend and read these books because I know that they make a difference in people's lives. And that's got to be such a cool thing to say, you know, or to have people come up to you and say, yeah, you know, like, I love this I saw myself in this for the first time. This was the first book I saw myself in. And that's got to be such a cool, cool thing to interact with your readers for. It's really incredible. And what I love the most about it is the book is a late in life coming out story. So it's about a woman in her thirties who realizes that she is queer and hasn't realized that prior. And I definitely came to that realization later as well. Not as late as Garland, but late later, definitely wasn't a kid or even a teen understanding that about myself. And I know so many people that are around my age or older that have had that experience of being in their 30s, 40s, and being like, wow, I am this, and stepping into their truth. And I've been really lucky to have people accept that in me and then get to accept that in so many of my friends. 
And I wanted to capture that because I feel like it's such a unique experience, unique to the millennial age group and that we sort of transitioned from a lot of like homophobic content in our youth to like a much more progressive, still not entirely accepting enough and still incredibly transphobic and racist time. But, you know, there has been some progress made um, and we're getting to see the youth that are younger than us come to these realizations or feel safe enough earlier, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to create a space where I could talk about the queer experience and coming out. And it was just like a soft pillow world where it goes best case scenario in every circumstance. And that is something when I talk to my friends that have read it and we talked about like the, the queer representation and it was like, what if the answer was always yes? You know, what if it's, you just said yes to everything? What if, and that's what I think about a lot in my own life with like my anxiety is one of the most helpful tactics in, in combating combating anxiety is asking yourself, what if it all goes right? Instead of, you know, fantasizing about the millions of ways it can go wrong. And so that this book was an exercise and what if it all goes right? You know, I really like that because I have anxiety as well. And it can tend to go to the, oh my God, what if everything goes wrong? What if this is a complete disaster? Oh my God. And it never turns out that way or very rarely right. does it ever turn best, you know, worst case scenario. So I like that, you know, projecting the, well, what if everything goes right? What if this does change my life in, you know, a good way? Yeah. And it's really hard to do actually. Like it seems so obvious, but like when you are feeling that way and you sit down and you're so convinced that we are going to have the worst day and you force yourself to like imagine the best case scenario it for me at least feels like I am trying to push a brick wall you know but I it, like it, that though it's helpful I'm gonna I'm gonna tell people now when they come in and they ask for recommendations because I recommend that summer feeling anyways um and like you said it's a it's an older character learning her sexuality coming out and realizing that this is what she wants. And I really haven't read any romance like that. I, if, if there's others out there, I need to know because the book was amazing. And I want to read more romances like that because especially like you said, as a millennial where, because I think I've, I'm turning 20 or 24. I wish I was turning 24, <laughs> 34 in January. Oh, wow. And, we're like the exact same age. Yeah, I'm January. Yeah. Like you said that the millennial stuff where we went through that phase of issues and right. people's sexuality and how people handled it. And like you said, there were, there's a lot of homophobia and transitioning now to an age where people can be open and honest or more open and honest about who they are, what they want. So love scenes is about actors and all this stuff. And you said you were an actor. How did you come up with a thousand miles yeah, so A Thousand Miles is a road trip from Chicago to Colorado. So I guess the personal tie for me is that I have a ton of family from Colorado and I grew up in the Chicagoland area from a little town called Oak Forest, Illinois. And so I took that road trip probably twice a year, almost every year of my life and in my childhood at least. And so when I was coming up with the premise for book two, that was early COVID. That was, we were pitching that book like October, 2020. That's like, I haven't been outside times. 
And I really wanted to create something intimate. So the story is just two people in a car, 90% of it. There's like very few other characters that are with them in the immediate space of the book. Um, and I also, we couldn't go anywhere. So it was like, let me like travel in my mind, this route that I've taken so much that like, I, I don't need to go research it because I can close my eyes and live it. Um, and so that's sort of how that story came to be was COVID plus nostalgia, you know, just being able <laughs> From to your childhood tra and traveling. Yeah. But then also when you look back and you think about it and now that we have a little more distance from the start of the pandemic, I'm like, yeah, I put them in this claustrophobic setting. I like was creating pandemic content, uh, like, you know, in a very nonlinear way of like that feeling of just like, I can't escape this or or confronting things. Cause the story is about ex-best friends from high school who haven't spoken in 10 years, reuniting to take the road trip together. They promised in high school that they'd take. So a lot of early pandemic too, I think for people was like thinking about your past, confronting things. And so then what did I do in my art? I wrote about people thinking about their past, confronting things in a confined space, you know. Why did you end up moving to LA? How did you get out here? Because like you said, you grew up in the Illinois in the Illinois area. So what made you come out here to LA? I mean, I know you said you wanted to be an actor. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I came out here because at the time I was a gymnastics coach in a place in Illinois and I was working like 60 hours a week. I was there all the time. And I was basically, and I was 20 and I was doing that. And I was seeing that it was about to become my entire life. And I had this panic moment where I was like, wait, I haven't done anything else yet. I'm too young to be the program director of a recreational gymnastics program or whatever. And so I told all of the people there, I was like, I'm moving to Los Angeles. And so I moved in the summer of 2011, I was 21 and it was truly like a suitcase in a dream type thing. Like I had <laughs> no money, no real plan other than like, I've got to go try this. And so when I came out here, I got a gymnastics job just to, you know, again, pay the bills, pay and the still, bills. Yeah. And I still have that same job today. I'm a very loyal person. <laughs> it's very hard for me to, to step away from things. So I'm still doing that at the same place that I was working at in 2011. But, um, I don't work 60 hours a week. Importantly, I work like 20. So it's very, nice. very different, uh, level of commitment and the flexibility allows me to do writing and anything else that I may want to do. But yeah, that's how I got, that's how I came to Los Angeles. So you've been there for 12, maybe almost 13 years. Yeah. Do you still like living in LA? I love it. I truly love it. I have been realizing because I grew up in cold Chicagoland, like and LA, when I first moved here, was just like truly 75 and perfect, like every day. And now that climate change is rearing its head and it's gloomy today and it's been rainy and it's been really unpredictable weather. I am finding out just how much I love the weather in LA because I'm like, this is reminding me too much of home. And I didn't realize when I left Chicago, like how much of that I wasn't going to miss. But yeah, I love it. I love the people. I I quite enjoy my life here. So I have had a great time living here and 
don't see me going anywhere else for the foreseeable future. What are some of your favorite things to do in LA? Because I live about three, about three hours away and I go, I mean, I drive down to LA for signings, Disneyland, you know, all that stuff. What's, what are some of your favorite things to do in LA? (laughs) Well, for sure, Disneyland, (laughs) you know, you said it, how could I, I had the pass for a while. I don't have one this year, but same. Who's to say might, might get one again. Um, I really don't live a very exciting life. I love coffee shops. You know, I love to go to different coffee shops. I love to grab like lunch with friends. I don't necessarily utilize Los Angeles in any specific way, but I just like the way the town feels, I guess. I'm the same way. I like, I like going out to lunch. I love coffee shops. I wish where I lived, we had more independent coffee shops because we just, we just don't where I live. I we got a couple, but it's, it's not the same as going to LA, you know, and finding a cool Literally. little niche anywhere. Little coffee yeah. shop. One just opened up down the street from me. Like it's like exciting in that capacity, especially when it's an interest of mine, but I'm the type of person, like, you're not going to see me past 9 PM. Like I'm home, you know? So it's like, I'm the same way. I'm the same daylight. way. <laughs> and I used to be, you know, when I was in college and younger, I could stay up until three o'clock in the morning. No problem. I was never much of a partier, but you know, hanging out with friends, staying up watching TV, I could be up all hours of the night. And now like 8.30 hits and I'm like, I want to go lay down with my dogs. I, wanna, and I, I want read. my comfies on. Yeah. Exactly. And I want to, I want to, I want to relax. I want to crochet on the couch. I want to read in bed. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a night person anymore. No, I, I, well, I guess I am in the fact that like, that's my favorite time to just be doing nothing. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know? That's true. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So when you go to Disneyland, we're going to, yeah. we're going to do a little side, we're going to get sidetracked here a little bit. When you go to Disneyland, what's your favorite thing to do? Do you prefer Disneyland or California Adventure first? Um, Disneyland first, Pirates of the Caribbean, like right out the gates. Like I need the smell. I love pirates. I, it's my favorite. I just like, I get like, I get tears in my eyes thinking about it. I just love the magic of like, it's nine o'clock in the morning, right? And then suddenly you're on the water and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in the night of, you know, whatever your mind scenario is. So I'm always starting on pirates for sure. Now, when you, when you ride pirates, are you a back of the boat person or a front of the boat person? I have no preferences like that. Do okay. you? Are you very specific about it? We usually tend to sit towards the back so we don't get wet when you go down the little things. But the last time yeah. we went, we went a couple weeks ago now. And for whatever reason, it didn't register to us that we needed to ask for the middle or the back. And we sat in the front and we just, whoosh, we just got were soaked. You t- our, really? Yeah. Our butts were soaked. Our feet were soaked. <laughs> so I, I never sat in the front because that's, that hasn't happened to me, but that is good to know. I wouldn't like that, especially not like first ride of the day. Then I'm like, yeah, soggy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But I love pirates. Are you a fan of the pirates movie? Really? You know, it's so funny. I've actually don't think I've ever seen any of them. Isn't that wild? Really? Yeah. Really? I just, well, I always say when I go to Disney that all of the Disney properties I don't have that are at Disneyland or California Adventure, I wish I had more, more of a connection to the actual properties, but I enjoy the experience so much. Like I love Cars Land. I go to car. I just think it's I the love best. cars. I'm like Radiator Springs. I have a mug. Like I love it. And I finally watched Cars 
because I was like, I have to, I love Cars Land so much. But I think that's kind of amazing about Disney that you don't even have to be a super fan of the properties that they've created for or about whatever the land is to enjoy it. It's like still enjoy and appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. On its own. Not to say I don't like Disney things. I do. It's just is like a weird thing where a lot of it I just haven't interacted with in a meaningful way, but I love it in Disneyland. Have you gone uh, during Halloween time, like to one of the Oogie Boogie Bashes? Yes, I went okay. a couple years ago. I haven't done it recently, but I did do it pre-COVID. That was the so year, you, one of the years I had the pass. So you got to see the Cars Land and Radiator Springs yes. all decked out. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, yes. honestly, that's one of the best because we try and go to the Oogie Boogie Bash every year. And that's one of the like best places to just walk around in is yes. Radiator Springs because it's so well-themed. Especially during Halloween. I love Flo's Diner. I introduce a lot of people don't eat there. And I'm all, when I go with people that haven't been, I'm like, we got to go to Flo's. Like, you don't know. You don't know about Flo's. Like, you got to give it a spin. So this is my official endorsement of Flo's Diner. Oh, Flo's. Very nice. Okay. Sorry. We got off tangent there for a little bit, but (laughs) I, I'm, I love Disneyland. I'm, I love, love, love Disneyland. And mine is always Space Mountain is always my favorite. Oh, I love Space Mountain. Takes my breath away. It does. And it's, it's, I get to a point, you know, where you're going around in a, a circle or whatever you want to call it. The, is it the G force? Is that the right word to say it? And it just, it makes me giggle. And I feel yeah. like a little kid, like I can't stop laughing. It's but. so, yeah, no, I, my face is, and cause it's like pulling you, you back. Like, yeah. And you're just like, I'm always like, I'm just smiling. <laughs> I'm just having the best time. <laughs> it is. It's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. So another tangent. Because when I met you, it was at the Happy to Meet Cute event in mm-hmm. Valencia, and you talked about The Sims. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your relationship with The Sims. I know you said you're a Mortimer fan, right? Mortimer Goth, yeah. Well, yeah, Bella the Goth, Goth fans, Bella, Bella Goth, of course, Bella Goth, the the Goth family, the Goth family, like forever and for always. So my relationship to The Sims is that I played Sim City, and when I was like eight, and I heard and I used to love in SimCity you could click on the sims and they would tell you a little bit about them like walking through the city and I was like this is the coolest thing in the world and then I heard that they were making a game about the sims and I was like I can't imagine anything I could want more in my life and so when it came out I remember I got it from Sam's Club which is so I don't know why it's so truly like imprinted in my memory and I installed it while watching survivor the first season of survivor was airing while I was installing the sims and it just totally I don't know because I've played it ever since it just changed my life like I am such a hardcore like I'm not a light simmer I have every expansion pack they just a new one just came out for the sims 4 home chef hustle I installed it on release day like I am like a very much a tried and true simmer but yes that's how it started for me And I just loved it, but it's not the type of thing where when I would go over to my friend's house, like as a teen and they had the Sims, they'd be like, do you want to play together? And it was sort of like, this is like a me experience. I just, I didn't find the collaboration ever very enjoyable, like playing with somebody else. I think I really enjoy, and I'm not, I don't kill my Sims with the, pull the ladder away in the older versions. Like, I like to yeah. I like to see them prosper. I like to see them do well and have happiness and like live very fulfilling lives. <laughs> it's really interesting. And it makes, it makes my heart happy because 
we've determined that we're basically the same age. And so all these different things like Sam's Club and watching the first season of Survivor and Sim City, like I'm having flashbacks to my childhood because I did the exact same stuff when I was kid when I was a kid. And it's it's fun to hear someone else talk about those exact same things that yeah I don't know, that just that just made me really happy yeah, uh, it's like so hyper specific that there's like such a feeling about it there is and if if a person knows they know you know what I mean it's yes. one of those things where you either get it or you don't right um what's your favorite expansion pack for sims 4 sims 4 my favorite expansion pack is probably island living just because I think sulani which is the um town that comes with island living is so beautiful but actually that's so tough because I love all of them um I love getting a new world in the expansion pack and getting to live in the the new worlds the horses one that just came out is actually really cool I wasn't that's what I was gonna ask you about yeah I wasn't like a horse person growing up but I love it in the sims have you played have you played the any of the new ones I have, I have a couple of the expansions, but I, I've been going back and forth on the horse one because I grew up with horses and my mom is a huge horse person. I was like, that's just such a cool kind of expansion pack to have, but I, I've heard mixed reviews on it. So I was like, I got to ask Bridget because I know she's a summer. I got to ask if she liked it. You know, it's, it depends on what you look for. I think in your gameplay experience, whether or not you'd like it, there is a lot to do with the horses. Like you can really live a sims life that is just dedicated to horses but if you want to live a life that has more to it in the sims it is kind of hard with the horses because you you have to do a lot of the care um but I think I mean they look beautiful the world is really beautiful to like ride around in and see and you can really make the horses look so cool you can add little things to them and stuff so for that aspect of it if you like designy things like that you would enjoy it I think well now I know I'm playing the sims for the rest of the afternoon when I I get done (laughs) I played it this morning right okay so back to writing and publishing and all that stuff so I know you said you got a couple you got a couple books in the queue that are coming up and that are you specifically but you also have a book under the pen name E.B. Asher with Emily Wibberley and Austin Sigmund Broca. Yeah. Um, titled This Will Be Fun. And it's being pitched as the Princess Bride meets People We Meet on Vacation for lovers of Shrek and Legends of La- and Lattes. And it's about a group of friends who once saved their magical land together but haven't spoken in 10 years, reuniting to attend a royal wedding and then ending up on a new quest to defend the realm. Okay, so lots of questions about this because I'm a romance and I'm a fantasy reader. And so when some of my favorite romance readers start writing fantasy, I know I'm going to enjoy it. How did this come to be? How did this happen? So we are all really good friends. We all debuted together as young adult writers in 2018. And we met up a lot because in the Los Angeles area, there were a lot of writers that were debuting at that time. So we would do little meetups and we became friends through that. And so this project was sort of born from our friendship and our mutual love. Emily is also a huge simmer. We love Shrek. Um, We love things that are fun and lighthearted, but also have a lot of substance to them too. And we wanted to create something in that space. So in coming up with this world and the story, our goal was to do something that felt 
fun, funny, silly, but also very, in some ways it's like quite serious and quite, I mean, they're, they're saving the world or their realm. So, um, yeah, it just, it's just born from our friendship and it's so much fun. And it is truly the best experience writing a book with them. And from my perspective, what's so great about it is I get to have the luxury of, because I write by myself, they write together. So they're always, you know, collaborating and creating with someone else. But for me, it's like, I'm only writing one part of this book. And so I get to like open up the doc and the book has grown overnight, which is amazing, first of all. And then second of all, you get built in beta readers, built in like people that are looking at your work, not with with an eye of wanting it to be good um, from a place of like, it's, it's representing all of us, right? But like, that's an eye on it that is going to be really sensitive to what will make this the best it can be because we're creating it together. And I love that. I like doing things with other people. I like group projects. So I have just fully enjoyed it. Whose idea was it to incorporate the three of you writing a project? Was it kind of a collaborative agreement or was one of you just like, you know what? I think we should all write a project together. I think it just, yeah, it just sort of came to be. I mean, maybe they could say it better than I, but in my memory of it, it just like sort of happened that we were doing this. And I I think it's always like sort of, are we joking? No, we're not. All right. You know, like, we're writing a synopsis, you know? So um, I, although I guess to be fair, like the three of us aren't really ever, we're not joking in that way. It was like, we're writing it, you know, like we're sitting down, we're doing a meeting, we're coming up with the synopsis, but there was no pressure, I guess, because it's at the time of its inception, nobody knew about it. It's not under contract, right? Like there's nobody that's knocking down our door, like, Hey, where's the book from you three? So in that sense, there's a freedom because it isn't, it wasn't anything at first. It was just a little fun seed of an idea. Do you guys, when you guys discuss things and whatnot, do you guys meet up? Do you guys do it over Zoom? Because I think all of you live in the LA area, right? We do. Um, Emily and Austin live down by the beach now. So they live a a little bit farther from me than they used to. So we do meet up in person, but we primarily are just going to like hop on a FaceTime or a Zoom or whatever. And if we're talking over certain things, but it depends on what it is we're doing. Like we have met in person to do certain aspects of it. Um, Right now the book is finished. It's off to copy edits. And we know when it comes back from copy edits, which is when you're going through and just like in the nitty gritty of the, like all the grammatical stuff that we're not going to be able to do that on Google docs, which is how we do the draft. So we'll have to meet up. Well, our plan at least is just to meet up and go through the copy edits together. Cause it'll just be easier than like sending each other back and forth our chapters edits or whatever. Do you think you guys will continue to write fantasy? I I hope. I mean, it's so much fun. I don't see why we wouldn't, but you know, that's sort of not in our control. So. And when is that one being released? Is it? It's Mm -hmm. September of 2024. Okay. So exactly a year from now. Oh my God. We got to wait a year. That's not cool. That's not (laughs) cool. It feels at some, in some ways it feels really fast. And then, then in some ways it feels really far away. 
Well, as a reader and as a fan, that's it's too far away. It's very yeah. inconvenient yeah. for me. <laughs> I know. I'll talk to the. I'll talk to the. People. Thank you. Yeah, I'd I'd appreciate it if you could call have your people call their people. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd appreciate that as a reader. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna get to the rapid fire questions. By no means do they need to be quick answers. I don't know why I call it rapid fire questions, <laughs> but okay. So, what is your favorite genre to read? Romance, for sure. Romance. Yeah. Do you prefer reading young adult or do you prefer reading adult romance? Adult romance. I mean, I love young. I just read Borrow a Boyfriend Club by Paige Powers. That was so, so sweet. That's a YA romance. Um, I highly recommend it. But yeah, I do prefer to read adult romance primarily. Okay. If you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would it be? This is going to be, I feel so shocking to some people. I love love triangles I knew you were gonna say love triangles I knew I knew I love love triangles I've never done it well I tried to do it actually in a book that didn't um didn't ever like see it to the finish line so I guess that's untrue I have tried my hand at it but no one's it hasn't seen the light of day I love love triangles that would be I don't know just when they're done correctly when they're done correctly right right it's a really good trope yeah it really is Okay. So what are you currently reading and what is on your TBR list this month? I am reading right now. I'm reading The Honeys by Ryan Lasala, which is also YA. It's, I'm not very far into it, but the the prose so far has been so beautiful. Um, and Ryan has just, I mean, it's very immersive. I'm doing that one on audio and the audio production is really cool. There are sound effects and like certain different, um, just like vibe setting choices being made in the audio production, which I love stuff like that. Um, And on my TBR, uh, I have Divine Rivals, which I have not read. I don't know if, have you read it? It's good. Yeah, it's it's really good. I know. So I'm I'm really excited to to get to that. Um, But I've been trying to really read outside of, I read so much romance that it's helpful for me me to sort of like take brain breaks and read things that are just not romance at all I read The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner recently and that was totally different for me it's just about a lost apothecary from the 1700s and this person this woman in present day uncovering the secrets of that what it was this women's apothecary in the 1700s that used to actually give tinctures to women to like kill their husbands like abusive husbands and stuff it's totally just a not my usual read and then I read things like stay true by Hua Shu which is a memoir um about a just a guy in like kind of like the late 90s and his experience growing up as the son of an immigrant and then like the loss of his friend so I've been really reading kind of all over the map lately but I've been enjoying that so I'm taking recommendations in like literally any any field if you have anything that you've read recently that I know um well I was gonna ask you what is your all-time favorite romance book wow all-time favorite like what's one that just blew you out of the water I have to say I truly I don't reread books very often but I did reread the Roughest Draft by Emily Wiberly and Austin Sigmund Broca. I just, it's good. It's so good. So, you know, shout out to my pals, but that's like a high bar for me that I reread it and still felt like, you know. And the first book I read by them was, uh, Do I Know You? 
and I was going through a rough patch in my relationship when I read it. And the way that those two write couples, like from dual POVs, it's just, I know it's, it's insane. The talent that those two have and it's, their books are absolutely amazing. I highly recommend those to any of you who haven't listened. (laughs) (laughs) Co-signed. Me too. Okay. So, oh, have you, have you fully read the breakup tour? I, you know, what's so funny. I actually haven't read it. That's the only book of theirs I haven't read yet. And I did say to Emily and Austin, like t- two weeks ago, I was like, I need to read the breakup tour. And it's, to- it's just, you got a couple months. We're at the point. I think they are working on so much. I am working on so much. It's like, I will, their books are top priority for me, but this is it's kind of fun to get to read them when people, when it comes out. Cause I usually read them so far in advance that like, I feel like I'm like, oh yeah, that was last year's book, but it's happening right right now. So I'm enjoying that. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you weren't an author, you can't say gymnastics. Okay. Okay. What would you, (laughs) what would you, what would you be doing? Okay. Well, it isn't gymnastics, but this is something I really have an interest in that's sort of adjacent, which would be like physical therapy and, um, any sort of like rehabilitation or sports therapy, I really love stuff like that. I love learning about how people can come back from setbacks, really. So something in that space. I like that. I like that. Now, if you could invite any one person over for dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? So this is a question I was like, what is my answer to this? But I lately have been getting really into learning about my genealogy and like my ancestry. So I would love to just like throw a dart at my um tree my family tree and like meet an ancestor that like because it's like dead or alive like how cool would that be this is my great 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 grandma or something um and I learned which I didn't know I know I'm very Irish very Scottish um but I didn't know that on my dad's side a couple generations up is like very Belgian like everybody's from Belgium so that I don't know one of my Belgian ancestors very nice very nice. Now, if there was any fictional person, if you could invite any one fictional person over for dinner, who would it be? It can be from your own books. Oh, wow. from my own books. Oh, I it have could to, be. I got to take be. them out of the equation. That's like too much <laughs> to even consider. That would be like brain breaking. I actually think I would, I can't, I'm dying laughing. I'm about to say this. I would invite Peter Malark over for dinner. <laughs> why Peta? Why Peta? Of all of the characters, why Peta? Well, because you know he gets hijacked by the Capitol, and it's like it messed with his memories. And I would want to just know for him. <laughs> I love the Hunger Games. Like I'm telling this to you as like a very, 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 very big fan of the Hunger Games. So for me, getting to meet Peta would be like to hear him speak about his love for Katniss and knowing what he went through and what he had to go through to come back to be able to love her again. That's what I would want to hear about. That makes, oh my God, that makes me so happy. Oh my God, that's, uh, that makes me so happy. Because Katniss happy. isn't going to tell me. Like, I, of course you would yeah, think like, would. I'd invite Katniss. PETA will tell me. That's why you got to invite PETA. And he seems very, not emotional, but, uh, like he would discuss his feelings and he would be okay talking yeah. about his feelings for her. And he'd be like, I know, I forgot. You know, like he would tell <laughs> me what I want. He would tell me the gossip. I'm dying to know about their lives. 
you're done. I, I appreciate that answer. It's a good answer. Thank you. I really thought about it and I was like, this is who it is. It's That's fantastic. Now, where is a place that you haven't visited yet that you would like to, one domestically and one internationally? In the States, I have not been to Maine, Vermont, like those sort of East Coasty, beautiful areas. And I would love to go in the fall and see like a true Vermont fall or something. Um, and then internationally, I've never left the United States, so anywhere is on the on the table for me, but probably Ireland for sure. I've always been seen as very Irish and it's like very much a part of like my family's pride. So I would love to go to Ireland. So last question, what is currently bringing you joy? Currently bringing me joy is, I'm trying to think of something we haven't discussed because I'm like the Sims, but um, (laughs) reading. reading has been bringing me joy a lot. Oh no, you know what my number one answer is? painting I have been painting recently really been so enjoyable yes I'm impressed well I mean I know this is a podcast I painted this little like floral bouquet oh my god Bridget that's beautiful thank you I'm quite I really enjoyed it that's really good oh my god I'll paint you something you want me to paint you flowers oh my god yes I will put it in my office which is a complete disaster but that that's gorgeous thank you I really love it so painting is a very relaxing activity for me so I'm honestly, I'm so impressed by anyone who paints or draws or does any of that because it's a cliche, but literally I can draw stick figures and I'm not joking. That's about it. I don't understand people like my brain can't process how people just have this incredible ability to paint. I definitely, that's freaking gorgeous. I mean, this is like not at any level, like, like people that can like really draw, but yeah, I do love to paint. Well, because we're on audio, no one can see it. It was absolutely beautiful and I'm not gonna lie it was she's downplaying it it was very 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 good it was very good (laughs) my mom it does art so you know it is like I is an artist so that's yeah I people like that it just blows me away but thank you so much for being on here I've had a wonderful time talking to you it was wonderful to get to kind of prick your brain thank you so so much thank you for having me this was a blast Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I sign off, I really would like to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune in. This has been a dream of mine for a long time, and I am absolutely honored to have you here. If you want to stay up to date on episodes and announcements, please subscribe or follow me at The Real Bookish Writer or at The Well-Read Podcast on Instagram. Thank you again for listening and have a magical day. See you next week. 